0: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, What's good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday the 13th of April. Slightly improved weather today, must be said. Champions League last night, Real Madrid 2, Chelsea 0. Real just outclassed them. Uh, Benzema scored on 21 minutes, Ben Chilwell was sent off on 59 for a reckless challenge. And Marco Asensio scored on 74 to make it very, very comfortable for Madrid heading to that second leg, which will be played at Stamford Bridge. Look, Real are just a class of both on and off the pitch. You look at the names and Chelsea have an impressive team. But they're badly coached, badly managed. They've been badly put together. Frank looks so far out of his depth. It's hilarious. And Real never really had to get out of second gear to just beat them comfortably last night. Barring a collapse of epic proportions, Real will progress here. Because Chelsea are managed by a PE teacher who has no business managing a Champions League quarterfinal. The fact that that's who they went back to tells you everything you know need to know about how much they're scrambling, how much Todd Bowley doesn't know what he's doing. And I guarantee you, if you could give him some truth serum now, I bet he regrets sacking Thomas Tuchel. Because Tuchel's a real football manager. And so is Graham Potter, but Potter's not Tuchel, and Lampard is just not a Premier League calibre manager, let alone last eight in Europe type of manager. In the other game last night, AC Milan beat Napoli 1-0. Ishmael Beneser scored the the only goal of the game on 40. Zambo Wengisa was sent off on 74, so he will miss the second leg, and that's a big blow for Napoli. Uh, He got his second yellow card, and it's unfortunate because he's so important to them. But the second leg is, is now shaping up to be really interesting. Osserman will be back for the second leg. Last night we saw Napoli almost play without a striker. Elmas played sort of as a false nine, very false nine. He's He's a midfield player. He's not a forward player. Caballeckelia and Lozano had no focal point to work from. And Napoli just looked a little bit out of sorts. But I would expect Napoli to bounce back next weekend and make their way through to the semi-final stage. We do have games tonight in Europe. We have Europa Conference League and Europa League. So we'll start with the Europa League. The quarterfinal... First legs, there is one game at 7, at 5.45 and three games at 8pm. Feyenoord against Roma should be a good one. Roma going well in Serie A, currently third place. Feyenoord comfortable at the top of the Eri Divisi. Feyenoord play a very attacking brand of football. Roma are managed by Jose Mourinho. So it's a real contrast here. At home, I actually fancy Feyenoord to win the game tonight, but I do think Roma will progress because I back Mourinho to progress. I think that one should be a really good game. Then at 8pm, it's Juventus against Sporting. Sporting obviously knocked at Arsenal in the last round. Juventus are having a very, very strange season With the points deduction and the legal cases going on around the club, it can't be easy for the players to stay focused. But they have been pretty consistent this season. They'd be second in Serie A. Now, they'd be a mile off top, but they'd be second if not for the point deduction. They're making decent progress here. Sporting will be a big test, but likewise, it's a big test for sporting. I'm curious to see how Amram sets his team up. Does he go with the more adventurous midfield pairing, which sees Pedro Concalves playing there? Or does he go with a more solid double pivot, bringing in Morita next to Gart and play Concalves in the front three? I think Concalves in the front three is probably the play because I think his movement as a false nine or even one of the inside forwards will cause Juve trouble. Whereas I think if you play him in midfield... Oh, guy is right. Manuel Ugarte is suspended because he was sent off against Arsenal. So he'll miss out tonight for the two yellow cards against Arsenal. So Marita plus Concaves or Marita plus another is the, is the big decision there. Concaves will play either way, you'd imagine. I think that's a really good game. I think that's going to be a belter. Juve are not exciting to watch, it should be said, because... Max Allegri football is just not an exciting brand. But sporting are really good to watch under Ruben Amorim. Manchester United take on Sevilla. You would expect United to win comfortably at home. Sevilla, not particularly good this season. They have flirted with relegation for much of the year. At the moment, they have gotten themselves out of the mess a little bit. They're up into 13th place but they are only five points off the relegation zone. Now, they are the masters of the Europa League. And it wouldn't take much for them to pull off the upset over the two legs. Six-time winners of this competition. Last time was 2019-20 when they beat Inter in the final under Lopetegi. They obviously won three in a row, 13-14, 14-15 and 15-16 when they beat Liverpool, and then they won it back-to-back, back back in 05-06 and 06-07 under Juan de Ramos. Whether or not they're good enough to win it this year, I have serious doubts, and I do think United should beat them quite comfortably over the two legs. But if United take it for granted, and with Rashford out, you never know. You never know. It could become more tricky for United than it looks on paper. And then the final game is Bayer Leverkusen, one of the informed teams in Europe, one of the most entertaining teams to watch in Europe under Xabi Alonso against a Union St. Gelos who are owned by Tony Bloom who owns Brighton and have some interesting players there that we might see Uh, make moves to the Premier League in the next couple of years. So I do think all of these games have merit if you decide to watch them. I think they should all be decent games. I think they'll all be decent at worst. Uh, If you do watch the Bayer Leverkusen uh, Union St. Julius game, Simon Adringa is a player to keep an eye on. He is uh, an a winger from the Ivory Coast, who's owned by Brighton, who paid a significant amount of money to buy him from Nordelsjand. He came through the Right to Dream program, which is what developed Camaldine Suleimana and um, Mohammed Kudus, among others. But he is one to keep an eye on. He's very exciting. Leverkusen are just chock full of talents. Frimpong, Tapsapa, Kasunu, Hincapie, Palacios, Verts, Adley, Diaby, Clozek, Patrick Schick, there's there's loads and loads of good players. That that Bayer Leverkusen team is I would say legitimately I think one one midfielder and a goalkeeper away from being real contenders to win the Bundesliga next season. Like a back four of Frimpong, Topsapa, Kusunu, and Hincapié that can flex into a three with Frimpong moving forward into a, a winger role. A partner for Palacios is what's needed. You've got Wertz as the ten, Diaby and Adley, or Diaby and Hlazek as the wingers is really exciting. And Plazek, when it's him can move into a center forward spot. So if he's the, the right winger and push him central with Schick and Diaby can work from the left and you get Diaby one side, Frimpong the other, Plazek and Schick up front or Adley and Schick up front if it's him. And then Vert's buzzing in behind, Palacios and one holding and then that three man defense. Like, There's so much talent there. Now, in all likelihood, they lose a couple of those players this summer, which is a real shame, because I'd love to see what they could do, especially under Alonso, the way he has them playing. I'd love to see what they could do, if they could stick together for another year and add a couple more pieces. In the Europa Conference League, again, we have one 5.45 game and three 8pm games. Ghent versus West Ham is the 5:45 game. Now, this Europa League campaign is the only thing keeping David Moyes in a job. So he best hope for a good result tonight. Because if things go badly and West Ham look like they might go out, he's going to be in major trouble. Um, that should be an okay game. Obviously, West Ham are in fairly turgid form, and the football they're playing is, is appalling. But there's still talent there. Uh, in the 8pm games we get Basel versus Nice. That's an opportunity for people to watch Kefran Turam who really is developing into a seriously good midfielder over the last 18 months. He's someone that's been sort of on the periphery for a while and obviously he's the son of Lillian Turam, the brother of Marcus Turam. Marcus had gotten a lot more attention over the last couple of years but Kefren is is undoubtedly the more talented player and This season in particular, he's really stepped up. The end of last season, he was playing really good football. This season, he's been exceptional. In a fairly average Nice team, it must be said. Um, Lech Poznan versus Fiorentina. Fiorentina, one of the most informed teams in Europe. A couple of really exciting players there. Nico Gonzalez being one of them, always worth a watch. And then Anderlecht versus AZ Alkmaar is the final game. It's a, a Belgium versus Netherlands game which will have a little bit of spice to it, you'd imagine. Uh, If you decide to watch that game, the couple of players I'd advise to keep an eye on, uh, Yari Varsheran, midfielder for Anderlecht, really, really talented player. Uh, Amadou Diwara is there, who's a, a really good holding midfielder who kind of lost his way. He was with Bologna, had a great season, Napoli picked him up. He never fully established himself there. Napoli sent him to Roma in a, a swap deal. And again, it just didn't work. And then when Mourinho arrived, he didn't really fit the picture of what Mourinho wanted. He joined Anderlecht in the summer. And he's been pretty impressive this season. The 28 caps for Guinea. I think he's a very good player. And he's only 25. So I still think there's a move back to a top five league for him and potentially he can still go on and have uh, a really good career. And then the third one I'd mention, well, Marco Canna, if he plays, but he doesn't play all the time, he's talented, but he has he has sort of stagnated a bit. But uh, Zeno de Bast, the young centre-back, really, really promising. Keep an eye on him. Also, I should have mentioned Bert Verbruggen, the goalkeeper, Dutch, young Dutch goalkeeper. Um, he he might be the next big thing in terms of goalkeepers. He looks like a seriously talented player. Uh, in the Alkmaar team, everybody will know Matt Ryan spent a long time with Brighton. Uh, Milos Kirkus, the left-back, massive prospect. Keep an eye on him. Jordy Classy, formerly of Southampton didn't work out from there, but he arrived there with a big reputation. He is currently at uh, Alkmaar. Danny DeWitt is a, is a good player worth the watch. 25 years of age. Didn't work out from at Ajax, but he's really made a name for himself at Alkmaar since going there. And Zeno van Huysden. Now, this guy should have been by now one of the better center backs in Europe, but. He has just been destroyed by injuries. Immensely talented. Can do pretty much anything you want. Great pass for the ball from the back. Good ball carrier. Can fill in at right back if you need. Could have played in midfield if he wanted to. He's owned by Inter Milan. He's on loan at Alkmaar. He's had a whole bunch of loans. He came through at Standard Liège went to Inter, they loaned him back to Liège, he bounced between the two clubs for a couple of years, Liège bought him back at one point, then Inter bought him again but he's just had he's had so many injuries, now I think he might actually be injured again he's had I think two ACL tears no I'm wrong, he's had three ACL tears 17, 18 18, 19 20, 21. He also had a serious knee injury in twenty one twenty two, so that could have been another ACL. And I'd nearly bet that it was, given he was out for six months. He has just had horrendous luck with injuries. He's only twenty three, and he's had that many knee problems. It's so unfortunate because he is, yeah, he's out at the moment with it, with an injury. Who knows what it is? He, but apparently he's been out since January, which I missed. He's so talented, but he just he seems to have the worst knees in the world. Um, so yeah, look, I think the Europa League and Europa Conference League quarterfinals are all really interesting. I think there's, there's reason to watch pretty much any of those games. Um, if I was watching one of the two early games, I'd watch Feyenoord because they're the most interesting team. So Feyenoord Roma in the, 8 p.m. kickoffs. offs Basel versus Nice for Turam is a good one. Anderlecht have a lot of interesting players. United, obviously, will have a lot of interest. Juve Sporting is probably the game I will will watch if I watch any of them. But Leverkusen... Leverkusen are the team that interests me the most because of the players and the manager and the form that they're in. So those are tonight, should be should be a good night of football. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, it's listeners' questions and the news and the gossip, and we'll be done. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So uh, it is Thursday, which means listeners' questions day. So we'll go with our first group of questions, which are from SportsLens at NFL underscore Seahawks 00. Three questions. Do you think the Red Bull football group has been a net positive for football? I do. I actually do. Overall, I think they've been a positive because I think they've opened up pathways for young players from Africa and from South America into Europe that weren't there before. I think they've now been copied by a number of other organizations, I think they've made big steps forward in terms of recruitment and how you recruit and why you recruit certain players. I like the I like the mentality they have of knowing that both Salzburg and Leipzig are stepping stone clubs. Now I'm sure they'd love to build a title winning team at Leipzig. I'm sure they would. But they're realistic enough to know that when a player signs there, so take, for example, the two big names they have, the three big names they have at the moment. Christopher Nkunku brought in from PSG when he wasn't making the breakthrough into the first team. They gave him the opportunity to come to a top five league, play every single week, and put himself in the shop window for a move back to one of Europe's elite clubs and this summer he will almost certainly be joining Chelsea. Josko Gvardiol could have made the move to Leeds but they convinced him that Leipzig was a better player better place for his development. And it's turned out to be exactly the case. Rather than be than be surrounded by the chaos at Leeds where, you know, defending is Optional. He goes to Leipzig and plays alongside other good defenders and learns, and now he's one of the best young defenders in the world. And then Dominic Szoboszlai. Now they brought him in through Salzburg, developed him really well. He made the step up to Leipzig. Obviously, he has had some injury problems, but if you've watched him this season, his playmaking is just different class. Absolutely a phenomenal player. Has that De Bruyne-esque delivery, can carry the ball from deep, incredible set, piece taker. shoots well off both feet. Reminds me of, of Balak in the way he shoots and, and the fact that he can generate such force from both feet. He is like a, a Balak-Kevin De Bruyne hybrid. Now, whether he reaches the heights of either of them remains to be seen. He's still very young, but you know you see it for his national team and the way he's carried them, uh, obviously carried them to a major championship for the first time in a long time, ended up missing out himself because of injury, but sensational. But again, the pathway for him is you come here, you develop, we move you to the next step, you develop, and then we sell you on. And when we sell you, you go to a top top team, and you look at some of the names that have come through there in recent years, from from both sides. You look at the the players they've sold and where they've gone on to, and it, you know you're talking about players moving to top clubs. You're not talking about players making sideways moves. In eighteen nineteen, they sell an Abbey Cater to Liverpool. That's their big sale. That summer. 1920, they sell uh, Diego de May goes to Napoli. Now, they also sell Matthias Cunha, who didn't quite work for them, and Bruma, who didn't quite work for them, but they're not selling them down. There's, those are sideways moves at worst. Um, 2021, They sell Timo Werner to Chelsea. That's the big sale that summer. He's a player they brought in from Stuttgart as a winger, developed him into a number nine, sold him for a big profit, and have since brought him back and are most likely going to flip him again at some point in the near future. In twenty one twenty two. 22 Canate goes to Liverpool. Upa Meccano goes to Bayern. Sabitzer goes to Bayern. They're all players that have been in their system. Upa Meccano, they brought in to Salzburg, had a year there, moved him across to Leipzig, continued to develop, goes on to Bayern. Sabitzer had been at Rapid Vienna. He'd been at, at Miro Wacker before that. Bring him in, develop him at Leipzig. Had the loan at Salzburg in his first year because they had that network and they wanted to see what he could do at that level before bringing him on. They took the chance on buying him. He excelled in that season with Salzburg on loan, goes back to Leipzig, becomes their arguably most important player. It obviously hasn't gone perfectly at Bayern. He's on loan at Manchester United, but it's worked out well for him. He's at a club now that really value him in Man United and he's playing well for them. And then this past summer, Tyler Adams, that's not a huge move, but he gets a big money move to Leeds. Uh Wang Hee Chan gets a big money move to Wolves. Nordi Mukieli gets a move to Paris Saint-Germain. Adamola Luckman goes to Atalanta. So they're selling them on to clubs competing or in the Premier League where the obviously where the real money is. You know, it's it's pretty impressive what they've been able to to accomplish there. And then if we look at what Salzburg have done over the last couple of years in terms of player sales, um we'll start with the eighteen nineteen season, I suppose, is the, the easiest place to start. Uh Berisha goes to Lazio, Duje Carr goes to Marseille, Amadou Hydera goes to Leipzig, Hannes Wolf goes to Leipzig, uh De Debour he goes to Sevilla selling at profit on all of them. Now, some of them didn't work when they went to Leipzig or wherever, but that's not, it's not their fault. Um 1920, then, they sell Stefan Leiner, goes to Gladbach, has been one of the best right-backs in the Bundesliga now for a number of years. Javier Schlager goes on to Wolfsburg. Sammy Soko goes to Hoffenheim. Minamino goes to Liverpool. Erling Haaland goes to Dortmund. These are all players that they found, developed, and obviously made profit on uh, into 2021. Wang Hee Chan goes to Leipzig. Obviously, then they sell him on. Um, and Zabozlai goes to Leipzig. 21 22. Patson Dacca sold to Leicester. Enoch Mwepu sold to Brighton. It's a really good move for these players. Now, see, it's an unfortunate situation with Mwepu where he was forced to retire, but he was a player, along with Dacca, that Salzburg went and recruited in Zambia. Who else is scouting in Zambia? Those two were teammates at Cafu Celtic. They went, spotted them, saw them, brought them in, developed them. And they've both been hugely impressive, Um, or were hugely impressive, and and were sold for massive, massive profits. I mean, they bought the two of them, I think, for about a million and a half combined, and sold them for 53 million combined. This season, then, Brendan Aronson gets the move to Leeds. Yemi gets the move to... Dortmund, Max Wobber, who'd kind of bounced around and lost his way a little bit. Gets a move to Leeds. He's been pretty good since joining Leeds. I just don't know that you can fault the, the talent identification, the player development, the pathway. I think they've done a really good job. I genuinely do. Um... There are rumours floating about that Sarkozy helped Qatar win the World Cup bid in return for the Qataris taking over PSG. Do you think the world of football is better off with or without oil clubs? I, I think it's better off without them. I think it's better off without them. I, in, in terms of those rumours, those have long been been around since, since the, the takeover. Those rumours have been around that Sarkozy was a key figure in the um, in the takeover because Qatar were linked with a couple of different clubs, and they were linked with a move to the Premier League. You know, buying a Premier League club and response to City, and what was going on there? They probably would have been better off buying a Premier League club because, for me, like. The French League is good, but it's just not... You're never going to get that same gravitas you get with the Premier League. And had they bought... Let's say they bought Newcastle back then, or they bought Everton, or they bought Aston Villa. Because those would be the clubs they would have bought. You know, clubs like City who were... You know, starved of success that had more relegations than cups in recent years at a fan base that just wanted something to be excited about. It could have been Sunderland. It could have been Middlesbrough. I don't I don't think Steve Gibson would have sold to the Qataris, but, you know, it could have been Sunderland. If they bought one of those clubs, I think they'd probably have been better off. Now, look, they wouldn't have ended up getting Mbappe and Neymar. But... They probably would have had multiple Premier League titles and they'd probably be more respected. But all in all, I do think football would be better off without the oil clubs. I really do. Because it's just, it's such a big shortcut. I look at the Red Bull teams. They obviously have huge enterprise backing them. But I look at how they go about finding players and developing players and selling players and the pathways they create and the opportunities they create for players, and I just think that's far more beneficial to the game than what these oil clubs do. Like you look at City's academy, and it's it's fantastic, and there's an immense amount of great young players there, but none of them are ever really going to play for City. Like Rico Lewis has made a breakthrough this year. Other than him, Phil Foden that's kind of it that's come through their academy into their first team Now some people say Cole Palmer but he's never established himself and if i'm not mistaken Cole Palmer is 20 now and it doesn't strike me as him having a yeah he's 20 be 21 in may it doesn't strike me that he's got a a real path at city where he's going to be able to establish himself and i think he's i think he's massive talent I really do. I think he's an absolute guaranteed starter for a lot of Premier League clubs. But there's no pathway for him at City. Foden is such a special talent, and I think Rico Lewis is as well, that they can carve the way in. But, you know, James McAtee, Tommy Doyle, Liam delap these are all players more than ready to play regularly in the league, and yet they're loaned out to the Championship. And they'll probably be sold on and City will get big money from them. So, you know, for City, their academy works because they're able to sell players and it helps them be, you know, self-sufficient. Not that they are, but you know what I mean. But I prefer the Leipzig model where players get opportunities at that club and they can develop there. And then they get, it's, it's less movement for players as well. Like a player goes to Leipzig establishes themselves, they get that top move. City will sell players to, you know, your Southamptons and your Palaces, which is great, but then there's going to be another move. If they're to get to that top, they've got to make another move. And when players move too often, it can have a negative effect. Uh, On a scale of one to 10, how likely do you think the chances of a European Super League happening in the near future I think the chances of the Super League happening is probably an, an eight or a nine. In the near future, Is obviously vague. Are we talking three years or five years or ten years? I think within ten years, we'll probably have it. Um, what are the chances that the top six Premier League clubs join? It, it, it does not work without the Premier League clubs. It just doesn't. The interest won't be there. Even if it's Real, Barca, Juve, Milan, Inter... PSG, Bayern, Dortmund. Doesn't work without United, Liverpool, Arsenal. Because those clubs have enormous fan base, enormous draw. Much of the money will come from America. The English clubs are more supported in America. Real, in many ways, are more a brand brand. Than a football club for a lot of people. In the same way that, like, a lot of people wear the New York Yankees hat, but they don't associate it with the Yankees baseball team. They just associate it with a brand or with the city. Real, I think people wear the jersey, but they don't really support the football club. You know, in the same way that I think that was true of United for a long time when they had Beckham, there were a lot of people that bought Man United hits with Beckham on the back, but they weren't United fans. They were just associated with the brand. Same way people buy Neymar shirts. They're not PSG fans, they're Neymar fans. I think Real have that brand recognition. There's a couple of clubs that do. Real, Barca, United. I think they're probably the three more than anybody else. Liverpool are growing in that direction, but for now it's Real, Barca and United, the three biggest clubs in the world. I don't think it works without them. I genuinely don't. Uh, Moving on. Uh, Theo Saki. Which under-23 goalkeepers have you seen that have the potential to get to the level of Alisson, Courtois, and Oblak? So I mentioned Bert Verbruggen earlier on. I think he's one. I I really do think he's got something special about him. As a shot stopper, he is sensational. Um. Real Madrid's reserve goalkeeper, Andrei Lunan, is 24 now. Just turned 24 in February. I think he could be really special. I think he is an absolutely sensational goalkeeper. But he's behind Thibaut Courtois. And Real don't want to sell him because he's a better backup than they're going to find elsewhere. But I do think for him... I think he could do with a move. I really do think he could do with a move. Um, Van der Voort is another one. Um, Martin Van der Voort is he? He's going to Leipzig, isn't he? Yeah, he's joining Leipzig next summer. So Leipzig bought him last summer. To join next summer, so you have two more years to develop at um, at Genk. Unbelievably gifted, big, incredibly agile. He's definitely one to to keep a strong eye on. Um, Slanina looks. To be fair, Gabriel Slanina of Chelsea, he does look like he's got something special about him. He really does. I'm biased, but I think Gavin Basunu is going to be a top top goalkeeper as well. I really do. I think he's got. I think he's got everything you'd want in a top goalkeeper. Um. For, for Bruggen, Van de Voort, Basunu. Flanina Lunan, but he, he's he's over the age of, of what you've suggested. The other one I would look at who has really impressed me is is the, the Turkish kid at, at Ren. Um Alumdar? Dogan Alumdar? Yeah. Keep an eye on him as well. They're the ones that I've seen. Again, others will have seen others, but they're the ones that I've seen that I think stand out to me. Assuming Liverpool are signing at least three midfielders, I'm guessing the budget won't stretch for all midfielders to be absolutely top tier. Which second tier, less expensive midfielders do you view as viable options? I've seen us link to Anton Stack and Gabri Viega. Now, if we're taking Gabriel Viega as the price point, that's about thirty-five million. I think you get Kefran Turam for that kind of money, so he'd definitely definitely be high on my list. Um, I I do like what I see from um, from Gabriel Viega. I think he's got um, a, quite an interesting skill set. One that I was looking at and thinking could make. A lot of sense for Liverpool um, as the more sort of attacking of the the three roles was Sunset at Bilbao. But he's just signed like a 40-year contract. 22, big and powerful. I I thought he was one that would make a lot of sense. He's shown in the last two years a real goal-scoring intuition. So for me, he was one I was looking at, but uh, it just he's just signed that long contract. Now, I don't think he'll stay there for more than maybe another 12 months, but you know, it'll be 14 months, obviously, to get to the end of the next season. But um, it rules him out for this season. Um, Let's think. I, I really like Alex Scott. I really like Alex Scott at Bristol, and he'd be one for me for certain that I'd like. I think he's got everything you want in the modern midfielder. I think he can be moulded into whatever type of midfielder you want him to be. After that, I mean, Manu is probably going to be Available for 35 to 40 million. So I'd absolutely take that. I think he's. I think he's tremendous. He's certainly someone I'd have. I'd have interest in getting. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, Enzo Lafayette's interesting. But he's very, very small. And that that does concern me. You know, I think Liverpool's style of football needs bigger, more powerful midfielders, but Enzo Lafayette is really good. Romeo Lavia probably, if they go down especially, isn't going to cost ridiculous money. So he's one that I, I would definitely grab because I think he's going to be a a top, top player. Um, I think as a six, you'd be hard-pressed to get better than him um, for that kind of price point, that 35, 40 million. Kevin Turam really does stand out to me, though. Especially his ability to just glide through traffic with the ball at his feet. Those two and Alex Scott would probably be my top three. Those two and Scott would probably be my top three. Um, Let's take a look, though, at... We'll look at transfer markets' player values to try and find that price point, though. So we're looking main position... uh, Let's look at defensive midfielders first. Uh, age group, we're looking I suppose under 23. And we're looking down. So check the cure. I really like, but I don't think Palace would sell him this quickly. Um, If Forrest go down, I would absolutely grab Daniil. I, I think he's excellent. Um. De Nio and Lavia, to me, would be would be a really good pairing to get. I don't know what Villa would want for Boubacar, Camara, but I'd always have interest in him. It's got Florentino Luis listed here at 20 million. He's going to cost an awful lot more than that. Uh, Samuel Ricci is interesting of Torino. Andre of Fluminese is somebody that a lot of people are excited about. I haven't seen enough, but he does look a player. Daniil Kefran Turam, Lavia, Alex Scott. Who else have we got here? Uh, Ergen Koku of Feyenoord. Absolutely. Put him on the list. Um, Max Maxence Kakere. Could you get him for that kind of price? Again, he's on the smaller side. But I, I'd love watching him play. Um, Eunice Musa, I I would definitely grab Eunice Musa. I think he's another one that you can mold into basically whatever you want him to be. They'd be the ones. They'd be the ones I'd go for. I don't, I don't list too many, but they'd be the ones I'd I'd look at for now. Um, and I do like Gabriel Viega, And you mentioned Anton Stack as well. And again, he's a good player is he ready for that level of step up? I I don't think he quite is. I mean, he's 24 and he's had what, this is his second year at mines. Now he's ready for a step up from mines. Is he ready to step up to a Liverpool level? If he was the fourth of four midfielders to come in, then I, I could definitely get on board. I like, the skills that I like, the, the physical profile as well. Like he's a giant. He's 6'4". He's at a contract in 2024, so only 12 months left on the deal. Um, Certainly would be an interesting one, like I said, as the fourth of 4 because he can play a multitude of positions there for you midfield as well. He can be your 6. He can also play as a more defensive 8. He's represented by the same group that represent Virgil uh, and Harvey Elliott. So Liverpool have, and Jordan Henderson, to be fair, uh, so Liverpool do have an existing relationship with that agency. Sadio Mane is also with them. He's obviously a former Liverpool player. Um, so Liverpool have dealt with them quite a lot in the past. So if if the price was right, if he was available on the cheap transfer market, have him at about 15 million euro. If you could get him for 15 to 18 million pounds as the fourth midfielder that you bring in, yeah, I'd I take him too uh we'll move on to discord rick m we often hear the term outball in english football parlance but do you know if the same term exists in other footballing nations such as spain france brazil or argentina i don't think it does because i don't think they ever look for an outball i think they're they're always looking to progress from the back i think that's you know we 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 hear people get very excited by any English team who plays out from the back now, even though teams have been doing this in England for years. go back to the 90s, you can see teams playing out from the back. Liverpool under Roy Evans played out from the back. Uh, Newcastle under Kevin Keegan played out from the back. Philippe Albert was one of the best passers of the ball. You'll see as a centre-back. United would have played out from the back. Arsenal under Wenger played out from the back. The out ball was you know, the vertical threat that Ryan Giggs was United's outbowl for years. When Mark Overmars went to Arsenal, he could be an outball. So you did have that option, but it was, I, I don't think you have that. Certainly not that, that term in football from other places. I, I think that was just, you know, maybe, it, maybe there is a different, a different phrase, a different terminology. I don't know, but I, I haven't heard it. Um, I think it is, primarily an English thing, but English English clubs and English football, if you go back to the 70s and 80s when they play in Europe against the top teams, a lot of times they'd set up to counter-attack, so they'd want that out-ball, but it wouldn't be seen as an out-ball in the way we see it now. It would be a long punt and, and, and sprinters and hope for the best. Um, why do English fans often celebrate every corner? Like they've won the World Cup. I this does my head. I, I'm the same. I I don't know why they do it. It's almost like I suppose it's probably because they feel like maybe it's it's building pressure on the opposition and putting themselves in a position to to score a goal and, and maybe they they see because a lot of English teams do focus on set pieces as a main Source of goals, especially from corners and you know set pieces in those or free kicks in those wide areas. Um English clubs traditionally have played with bigger centre backs and the big target man striker, so you get a lot of big bodies in the box. Chances are something happens and you might get a goal. So I think I think it's more the celebration of the anticipation of what might happen than the actual act of the corner kick itself. Um. Matt JT if you could sign replacements for liverpool's departing or potentially departing players that cr- closely replicate what the player did at their best who would you get to replace ox naby bobby milner matip and gomez um i think i think mason mount is a is a really good ox replacement for for what ox did but The one I would go for is is Jacob Ramsey Um, or Morgan Gibbs-White. I think Gibbs-White has a little more about him in terms of creativity, but I think in terms of that power, that goal-scoring ability, I think Jacob Ramsey is a pretty good um, approximation of of Oxley chamberlain The rain has started. Joy. Um, Naby's such a unique profile. You're not going to find many Naby Kata types. I do like Javr Schlager. Not the same type of player, but can be kind of an all-phases midfielder like Naby. Um Alex Scott. Again, he's slightly different, and I know I've mentioned him before, but he's got a little bit of what Naby offers in, in terms of being involved across the phases. I uh, needs to get on the ball a bit more in midfield, but you know it is what it is he can carry the ball really well, which is something that Naby was was excellent at. Kefran Turam, very different physical profile, but in terms of that ability to carry the ball through the middle phase, he reminds me of of him. Uh, for Bobby, Daichi Kamada is an obvious one, I think. Um, again, I think Mason Mount could potentially be developed in that role. But the one I see that could potentially go that way. Now, not to the same extent, not to the same level, but I'd be really interested to see what Curtis Jones would look like if he got 12 to 18 months playing in that false nine role. It might end up being a big waste of time, and it might ruin the lad's career, but, you know, that's interesting. Um Milner. Average on the ball, average defensively, average across the board. Uh, Connor Gallagher doesn't have the versatility of Milner. Milner's versatility is his, and I say versatility, he can play in a bunch of positions, not particularly good in the positions, but I mean, Ginny had that kind of versatility, uh, versatility. Ox has it as well, you know, so you're looking at someone that can just fill in, in a bunch of different positions. I'd look at me. he's, He's a defender. He's not a, not a midfielder like milner but someone like Olaena can play right back left back in a back 3 could do a job for your right side of midfield i think kyle walker peters could play in midfield and be comfortable enough because he's decent on the ball um I, I don't think you really need to replace milner if i'm being massively honest um matip edmund topsapper is the obvious one he he stands out to me as like the perfect joel matip replacement very comfortable carrying the ball, has that same long loping style, doesn't look quick, but has a burst of pace that gets him where he needs to be. So Tapsapa is absolutely the one I would look at to replace Matip um, if we were going like for like. And Gomez, I think you're just looking for someone, like a bigger version of Gomez, because you want that pace, you want that that dynamism, that recovery power that he had. Uh, Max Lacroix is an obvious one here, but Armel Belakotchup is the one I'd go for. I think he's got everything Gomez had. It needs developing, it needs tweaking, it needs coaching, but I think he's the natural replacement there. Uh, Isaac Gilding, just how underrated is Ilke Gundigan, not naturally blessed with anything outstanding physically, but is just so, so good. I would say he. the thing he is blessed with, which obviously is not a physical trait, is he, I think he's one of the cleverest players the game's ever seen he is the midfield version of Thomas Muller he does other players thinking for them so they can just play their game fill space brilliantly find space better than anybody in the world links play always makes the right decision you know he can't beat anybody can't dribble past anybody he couldn't jump onto a curb he, he's a powerful player but he's always in the right position, always, on or off the ball, whether City are going forward, whether they're defending, ilke Gundogan will be in the right position. You watch City get countered. Like, Gundogan, he's not quick, but he's always one of the first ones back in position. He's so, so clever. He is massively, massively underrated. Now, part of why he's underrated is also the injuries that he's had earlier in his career, remember when he was at Dortmund and he Dortmund brought him in to replace Nuri Sahin and he was sensational. And there was a lot of talk that he was going to get like this massive money move. Then he had the back issue. Then he had a leg issue and he put on a load of weight and people were saying he wasn't committed and City picked him up quite cheap, like 20, 25 million and kind of flew under the radar that City had got him. And then when he went there, it took him a little bit of time just to adapt to, I suppose, the rigors of the, the Premier League, but people forget he's at City now seven years. And that first season, he barely played because of injuries and fitness and just getting himself up to speed. But since then, he's just been a a different class of player. And you know he's a, he's a reliable source of goals. He's never scored less than five goals in a season for City. He had seasons with seventeen and ten. I thought in the twenty twenty one season he should have been the footballer of the year. I, I thought he was. I thought he was robbed of footballer of the year that year. To be honest, but yeah, I do think the injuries, like he missed pretty much the entirety of thirteen fourteen. I think he played three games. He missed a bunch of time in fourteen, fifteen, and fifteen sixteen, which was such a shame because they were really fun Dortmund teams. Uh, that fifteen sixteen team was not as good as obviously the team that won the title, but you know I, I don't think they were all that far off. That attack: Aubameyang up front, Royce on the left, Kagawa as the ten, Mekitarian from the right all of them able to play every position in that attack, continuous rotatement. Gundogan in central midfield with generally Sven Bender or Julian Vagel. Vagel was probably the, the more regular starter. Um, but Gundogan could also play in the 10. He played there a few times and Bender and and, uh, and Vegel would play before Vagel got the ankle injury that, that ruined his career. Like That, as a midfield and attack, I would say is better than anything Klopp had. Now, what Klopp had was that elite centre-back pairing of Subotic and Hummels before Subotic had the knee injuries and before Hummels kind of lost his way as a defender and got too enthralled with his ball-playing ability. Uh, If they could have put a better defence around Hummels... I think they would have won the league. Like they brought in Ginter. He never really worked for them. Schmelzer was done. Uh, Piszczak was done. Subotic was done. Socrates was playing a far too many games. He was painfully average. Eric Durham was playing. He was painfully average. Uh, Roman Berkey was, was decent, but not an elite level goalkeeper. A better goalkeeper. And some better defenders, and that would have been that team was was ready to step up and win the Bundesliga. But unfortunately, then after that season, they got picked apart. Um, Gundigan left, obviously, to go to City. Hummels left and went to Bayern, and they just started to. Mecketarian left to go to United, and the players they brought in to replace them. Like Mario Gotze, you're bringing him back. It was a stupid decision. They spent a bunch of money on Andre Schurler, who was never more than average. Uh, they brought Isak in, but it, it didn't work there for them. They did buy Usman Dembele, which was a, an unbelievable bit of business when you consider what they sold him for a year later. You know, Mark Bartra didn't work out. Sebastian Roda was good, but he was injury prone. Mikel Moreno was a disappointing one because he had all the talent and they just... They never gave him the opportunities. Um, but yeah, like there were I really did feel like that Dortmund team in 1516 were right on the brink of something special. Tuchel was just announcing himself as the best young coach around. They had all this talent, they were scoring goals at an obscene rate. 82 goals scored in a 34 game Bundesliga season. S- just smashed goals past teams in the Europa League. Obviously went out to Liverpool in that epic 4-3 at Anfield in the quarter final. I think if Dortmund had won that game, I think they would have gone on and won the competition. Actually, I think they were a better team than Liverpool. I I don't think it. I know they were a better team than Liverpool. The power of Anfield carried Liverpool on that. Uh, in in the like way that 4-3, they'd knocked out Spurs before that. They'd knocked out Porto. They were just sensational, and Gundogan was absolutely vital at connecting the defence in the midfield, at just always been the available man, and always recycling with the right decision, that Dortmund team. One of my favourite teams to watch. Uh, but yeah, incredibly underrated and such a good player. Uh, AMK2889, in the 0304 4 season, Porto and Monaco met in the Champions League final with Porto winning. Arsenal went unbeaten in the Premier League. Greece won the Euros. Tunisia won the AFCON for the first and only time. Uh, once, Caldas won the Cup of Libertadores, beating Boca Juniors in the final. They uh, came to only the second team from Colombia to win the, the tournament. Napoli were relegated to Serie C due to bankruptcy and that had to basically be restarted as a as an entity, Verder Bremen and uh, Valencia won their domestic leagues. Further's team was, was excellent. Valencia, that was the Benitez team, uh, that also won the UEFA cup that year. And the, <laughs> I feel the only thing missing was Wigan winning the FA cup while also getting relegated. Where does that season rank among other seasons for uniqueness as well as randomness? It's right at the top. It is right at the top. Uh, everything about that year, like, Arsenal going unbeaten. No one else has done that. And it doesn't look like anyone will do it anytime soon. Greece winning the Euros. I mean, nobody had them. Nobody had them. Greece were as big an outsider to win the Euros, which is a cup competition with 16 teams in it as Leicester were to win the league. Uh, Tunisia winning the AFCON. uh, Like I said, it's the only time they've done it, but they were at home. So they did have that advantage. Once Caldas was a huge shock because if I'm not mistaken, weren't Baca going... Didn't Baca win a bunch of them around that time? Like, Baca won three in five years or something. A uh, couple Libertadores. List of finals. Da, 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 da. Baca had won it in 2000, 2001, and 2003. They also won it in 2007. So they won four in eight years, and they lost that final to once Caldez, um, I think on penalties. I'm almost certain it was on penalties, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on penalties. Um That was a huge shock, huge shock, because Boca were unquestionably the top team in South America, and it wasn't close at that point. See if we can pull up the teams from the final. Nicholas Berdiso's in that team. Pablo Ledesma's in that team. Carlos Bianchi is the manager. It's not. They they had lost some players by then, but they were still super strong. That was a big shock. Uh, Napoli getting relegated wasn't a surprise because it had been coming for years. Werder winning the Bundesliga, I don't think was a huge surprise that year. Did have a really good team. And the Bundesliga was in a bit of flux at the time. Same goes for uh, La Liga. It's it, different when we look back at it now. But remember, Deportivo had won it a couple of years before and this was, um, this was the second time that Valencia had won it. So uh let's see. Oh god. Um, I don't think those were as surprising as they kind of look in retrospect. Um, but Valencia had a great team. They'd won it in 02, they won it again in 04, and like I said, they also won the UEFA Cup that year. Uh Real were in a dip, they had the Galacticos, but they were aging and there'd been injuries and they'd made a couple of bad decisions. They obviously, the Galacticos era started great. You get Figo, you get Zidane. The decision to buy Ronaldo at that point in his career, the decision to buy Beckham, who was an excellent player, but not at that level, that sent the Galactical experiment in the wrong direction that made it more about the name rather than the elite-level player. Renat, look, O9 is, for me, one of the best number nines ever, the best I've seen. But by the time he went to Real, he'd had all the knee injuries and he just he put on all the weight, and he wasn't the same player. And Beckham just wasn't that class of player. So I think that's where the... Um, I think that's where the the Galacticos took a misturn, and Barca were in a bad dip as well uh, after the Van Hal era. Before Frank Rijkaard really got things up and running, they obviously brought in Ronaldinho, that sort of restarted the machine there. But uh, Valencia were able to capitalise. So the question is, what's the most impressive from the list above? The most impressive is Arsenal going unbeaten. That is the most impressive. I would say the most surprising was Greece winning the Euros or once Caldas winning the Copa Libertadores. Uh, Those two, those were shocks, like stunning, stunning shocks. You look back at that Euro 2004 competition and it's just bizarre still to this day that they won that competition. It's in Portugal. Portugal have unquestionably the best team. Spain are still a couple of years away from becoming what they became, but there was the remnants were there of, of that squad. You had a strong France, a strong England. Italy were fairly disappointing. Now, they should have done better than they did, but they were disappointing. But remember, they went on and won the World Cup. Two years later, with a lot of the same squad, they'd lost the Euros, the the Euros final four years beforehand against France, and the Czech Republic and the Netherlands were quite good at the time. Now the German team was disastrous, but for Greece to win, like remember, Greece beat Portugal in the opening game. They beat them 2-1. Then they drew with Spain. Then they lost to Russia, and people thought, oh, there's, there's nothing much there. They kind of shithoused their way to beating Portugal. They'd scored early. They defended and defended and defended. They won a penalty on in the 50th-odd minute, scored. Portugal battered them all over the pitch and just couldn't find a goal. Cristiano scored late on to as a consolation. Uh, You go into the knockout rounds, they play France, they defend, they defend, they defend. They score in the 65th minute. Set pieces are just their bread and butter. I remember that night, I was at Metallica in the RDS in Dublin and Lars Ulrich came out and announced the score in that game. I don't know why, it's just always stuck with me. Um, he said, bye bye, France. And he kicked a glass of uh, plastic mug of beer out into the crowd. Um, they go into the semi finals. Again, they just defend and defend and defend past the Czech Republic. And they beat them 1 0. And then they beat Portugal 1 0 in the final. And they just shithoused their way to it. They played some of the most boring football you'll ever see. But it can never be taken away from them that they won the competition. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day is that they won the competition. So there we go. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just, in terms of most impressive Arsenal for me. Anyway, we will wrap up then with a bit of news and gossip. Uh, I should have mentioned in that Ghent versus West Ham game, Gift Urban, the young Nigerian striker, just keep an eye on him. The kid has been absolutely on fire since they signed him in January. Um, Marcus Rashford set to miss tonight's game and a couple more for United. So that's a big blow for them. There is um, a note here that Tottenham and Brighton have been charged by the Football Association over their mass confrontation on the sidelines at the weekend. Uh, and that's pretty much all we've got in terms of new for today so we'll jump into the gossip Burnley boss Vincent Kompany is Tottenham's number one target to replace Antonio Conte I can say as a matter of fact that he's not Uh, and he shouldn't consider that job either he needs to stay at Burnley and continue to to learn Uh, Man City lead Real Madrid in the race for Jude Bellingham West Ham and and England's Declan Rice Brighton's Moises Caicedo Inter Milan's Nicola Barella and Matthias Nunez remain on Liverpool's shortlist for midfielder. Uh, Moises Caicedo is absolutely the pick there. Caicedo, then Barella and then I'm not really bothered with either, the other two, but I would prefer Nunez. Half the price. I think he's a more talented footballer. Um, Barcelona will step up their interest in Ilkay Gundogan after his Impressive performance for City against Bayern. I, I don't think any performance he puts in between now and the end of the season is going to impact anything. Um, his body of work speaks for itself. Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United are monitoring Ryan Gravenberch. It, it's funny, that when when a player is tagged as a, as a star in their teens and gets all the hype, it doesn't really matter what they do for the next couple of years. Big clubs will continue to be linked with them. Even if they've got no interest, they'll still be linked to the big clubs. Arsenal are targeting a summer move for Michael Elise, with the 21-year-old valued at more than 40000000 Um, million. I'm just going to mark spoof on that one. Tottenham, West Ham and Crystal Palace are all keen on Arnie Slot. I would say Tottenham is the club to go to, but West Ham would be a nice fit for him. Fulham, Aston Villa and Crystal Palace are interested in Besiktas' Portuguese midfielder, Jenson Fernandes. Liverpool have sent scouts to watch Joe Pelinha on several occasions as they consider a move for him this summer. Uh, It's from Football Insider. It's from Fraser Fletcher, so it's spoofing. Um, Arsenal have inquired about Angolo Kante. Uh, I doubt it. Arsenal, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund and Monaco have shown interest in Will Saha, who's on a free this year. Leeds have put a £40 million price tag on Ilan Mellier. If anybody pays that kind of money for Ilan Malier, everybody at the club should be sacked immediately. Um, It is Peter Rourke, so it's probably spoofing. French 22-year-old right-back Sachet Bowie, a former target for Crystal Palace, wants to leave Galatasaray with a move to either the Premier League or Bundesliga, his priority. Um, Talented player, would fit really well at Crystal Palace if they were still interested. Uh, He came through the Rennes Academy, didn't quite make the grade there, went to Dion on loan. Galatasaray picked him up after an impressive loan spell. Very talented player. Um, I I think he'd do well in the Premier League. Uh, Former England defender Chris Smalling will sign a new two-year deal at Roma this week despite interest into Milan, Juventus and a number of Premier League clubs. That's the right move for him. Arsenal will demand 35 million for 21 year old England striker Folan Baligan who is currently on loan at Reims and is a target of Orby Leipzig. Uh, much of what he commands in terms of fee will depend on his contract. He has two years left at Arsenal after this season. I think 35 million is realistic if you're selling to the Premier League. if you're selling to the Bundesliga, you're probably knocking 10 million off that. Uh, That'll do me for today, folks. Thanks as always for listening and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Network.